Given that lambs are infant sheep, that sheep are afraid and foolish, and lack the means of self-protection, having neither rage nor claws, venom nor cunning, what then is this Lamb of God who we worship? These are the first words of the poem Agnus Dei by Denise Levertov, a poem which wonders at the nature of the God who became a sacrificial lamb which explores how strange it is that the almighty, all-powerful God chose to become weak and frail as a lamb, who lacks the means of self-protection, who has neither rage nor claws, venom nor cunning. What then is this lamb of God who we worship? In the book of Revelation, the central image for the reigning triumphant Christ is the Lamb who was slain. The Lamb who became a sacrifice for our salvation, as in the Jewish faith, the Passover Lamb was a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. Denise Levertov's poem goes on to ask the question, how can God, who encompasses all things, be defenseless? There are so many other ways that Christ could have brought about salvation. Those who awaited the Messiah at the time of the coming of Christ were, in fact, expecting someone who looked more like a military leader or a powerful politician. And yet, God chose to become a carpenter and an itinerant preacher and healer, and ultimately to endure the suffering of the cross in order to reveal his glory to become the Lamb of God, who knows what it is to suffer. During the season of Epiphany here at Church of the Cross, we've been exploring this word, glory, and how God has revealed his glory to us through scripture. Revelation, of all the books of the Bible, is perhaps most clearly a book about revealing God's glory. It's right there in the title. Revelation is what you might call a multi-genre work of literature. It's an apocalyptic book, a word which literally means revealing. And apocalyptic literature was a common mode of writing in the ancient Near East, full of intense and often bizarre imagery. Revelation's also a prophetic book, meaning that it pertains to, but does not precisely predict what is to come in regards to judgment and salvation. But in addition to being apocalyptic and prophetic, Revelation is also a letter written to seven churches during the first century of the early church, a period of significant persecution and suffering for the first followers of Christ who were living under the occupation of the Roman Empire and in conflict with Jewish authorities. This book, this letter, offers a message of hope and salvation from suffering for those who follow the Lamb. What then is this Lamb of God? To reveal more of who he is, let's take a closer look into this word, glory. Glory is a word we often associate with God's greatness, his power, his might, and rightly so, because God is great and powerful and mighty. Throughout the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for glory, chavod, is often used in connection with these other words. 
You might think of Psalm 8.1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. But the word glory is then transformed in the New Testament through the incarnation of Christ, when God chooses to reveal his glory by becoming human, by identifying with us in our humanity and in our weakness and suffering, and ultimately in death. God's greatest act of glory in history is, of course, Christ's resurrection. But resurrection could not exist if death did not come first. As it says in Hebrews 2.9, we see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. This is how God reconciles us to himself. By suffering death on the cross, by tasting death for everyone, and by becoming the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This Lamb not only lacks the means of self-protection, having neither rage nor claws, venom nor cunning, he has also been mortally wounded. The painting by Marcia Hines, which you should now have on the screen there. You have a small version, cutout version on your bulletin there. This painting is a depiction of the throne room scene in Revelation with the lamb who was slain there at the center. We first encounter the lamb in Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, when John says, Then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb, standing as if it had been slaughtered. If you look at the center of the image on the screen, so zooming in, next slide, there we go. Yeah, so that's the version you have on your bulletin. You'll see that there is blood matted onto the lamb's body. Christ stands at the center of the throne room as the lion of Judah and the root of David, but also as the lamb who was slain, because God chose to become vulnerable and to allow himself to be sacrificed in order to reveal his glory and to conquer death through his own suffering and death. The Lamb of God knows what it is to suffer. I wonder how this image lands with you in the midst of your own struggles and suffering, even in this particular week. Does it feel natural to see Jesus in this way, as the Lamb? Or do you feel some resistance? Maybe you prefer to think of the almighty, all-powerful God as distant from your day-to-day -day life. Depending on your circumstances, it could either feel strange or comforting, or maybe a little bit of both, to think that our God, our shepherd, knows what it is to suffer as the Lamb who was slain. Revelation 7 is often described as an interlude between the action and the intensity of the judgment scenes in the surrounding chapters, when we get to pause with an image of hope for those who follow the Lamb. 
In verses 9 through 17 from our reading today, we hear that there is a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, giving glory to God. Here we're given a vision of the people of God who have undergone great suffering for the sake of the gospel. They have come out of the great ordeal, as the passage says. But these people are now redeemed, and they get to be with God and with the Lamb in his house forever. And the fact of their salvation and union with God causes them to burst out in praise, singing amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This passage in Revelation 7 is a vision of God's promise to Abraham fulfilled, as we heard in our reading today from Genesis 12, where God said to Abram, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Revelation 7 is also a vision of the great commission fulfilled, which we heard read from Matthew 28 where Jesus tells his disciples, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The great nation promised Abraham has been expanded to include people from every nation, tribe, and tongue who've been grafted into the family of God and are now with him forever in his house, giving glory to the Lamb declaring, as John the Baptist did, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Today is World Mission Sunday, a day when we get to celebrate the ways that the Great Commission is already being fulfilled as the Word of God spreads throughout the world. And it's also a day when we get to envision and pray over how we can be a part of the Great Commission. We're joined today by someone from our mission partner, Hope International, which is a Christian organization and ministry working among underserved communities around the world. They provide microfinance loans and saving services, discipleship, and biblically-based training. And through their work, Hope International seeks to restore dignity among families experiencing poverty, to alleviate material suffering, and to bring the hope of the gospel. It would be great if you could join us after the service today for a time to learn more about their work and participate in a role play activity that they brought for us. Hope International's work is grounded in the Great Commission and in the love of God, which we get to share with others as followers of the Lamb. This kind of work can only be done in the knowledge that Christ is our greatest source of hope and satisfaction, and that yes, one day the Lamb will again reveal his glory and bring about full and absolute freedom from suffering. You might be looking at this image of the great multitude worshiping in the throne room and thinking, that sounds like a beautiful picture, but how does it apply to me in my own life? In my own suffering? Does it change anything about what I'm experiencing or about the suffering of other people in my life or across the globe? 
The reality of our world is that we do face great suffering and pain. We each have our own stories of loss, of disappointed hopes, broken families and friendships, of debilitating mental illness or physical illness. And we're constantly inundated with news of war and crisis and corruption across the globe every day. Being a follower of Christ does not exempt us from pain and suffering. In fact, throughout the gospel, we're told that the way of Christ and of Christ followers is the way of cross-bearing. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus tells his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. One of my good friends who I lived with in Vancouver while we were both studying at Regent College suffers from a chronic illness. And with her permission and blessing, I want to share a little bit of Maureen's story. In the fall of 2021, things had gotten to a pretty bad place with her illness, and Maureen was in constant debilitating pain. Having moved from Ghana to Canada for grad school, she still hadn't found a doctor who was able to provide the kind of help she needed. And throughout that fall, there were many trips to the emergency room and long hours of waiting. On one of those ER trips that I was with her for, we were mercifully provided a private room where she could rest. Maureen loves worship music, and so I asked her if she'd like to sing together while we waited. So for the next hour or so, we sang songs of praise and worship that reminded us of God's promises and his presence with us until our voices were hoarse and I had nearly exhausted the store of all the songs I could think of. Like the great multitude, we sang, Great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see. We sang, Thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. And echoing the words of Revelation 7, we sang, We will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. He has done great things, we will say together. We will feast and weep no more. Maureen's pain did not decrease in that hour, but we knew that Christ was keeping vigil with us. That the lamb who was slain, that our God who knows what it is to suffer, was with us. Though we were not in the house of Zion in the way that we see in Revelation 7, a little bit of God's kingdom broke into our reality in that time. One of the things I noticed first about Maureen when we met was the depth of her faith and trust in God. No matter the circumstances or adversity in her own life, she would always say and still does, God is faithful in her beautiful Ghanaian accent. No matter what I am going through that I share with her, she says to me, God is faithful. Maureen is not one to shy away from crying out to God in her pain, but neither is she one to fall into bitterness or despair or to reject the great consoling gift of God's presence and of his peace that surpasses understanding. 
As we heard in our gospel reading, right there in the Great Commission and after his resurrection, Jesus said to his disciples, Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Sometimes we still need reminding of this, to hear the voice of Jesus saying to us again, Remember, I am with you. Because in the midst of suffering, it can be easy to forget that the God who is with us is the very lamb who was slain, who knows what it is to suffer. Revelation 7 ends with these well-known words about those who follow the lamb. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. These words of hope directly echo the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, which shares in this image of the people of God being freed from suffering and want. No more hunger, no more thirst, no more scorching heat. Instead, the lamb becomes the shepherd and guides his people to springs of living water. Revelation is full of paradoxes. And the idea that the lamb can become the shepherd is clearly a paradox. That the weakest and smallest sheep is also the one who guides and protects the flock this great multitude of people who we just heard described? How can this be? In his commentary on Revelation, Craig Keener writes that Jesus is the shepherd precisely because he was the slaughtered lamb, the one slain for his people, and whose mortal weakness became the conduit for God's power, the conduit for his glory. The only way that the lamb could become the shepherd was through the death that conquered death and that revealed God's glory and power at his resurrection. This is the God we worship, the slain lamb and the shepherd who has identified with us in our humanity and suffering and who by overcoming death has reconciled us to God, the lamb who is the shepherd. By God's grace, my friend Maureen was eventually connected to an amazing doctor who became her advocate and support and ultimately was able to provide surgery which has given her significant relief from pain. This is not everyone's story, but it is the hope that we all share as followers of the Lamb. The hope that, the, that God, the slain lamb, is our shepherd and that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. You'll notice that verse 17 does not actually say that we will weep no more, that we'll stop crying. Rather, it says that God will wipe away their tears. This is an image of God offering comfort and consolation to people who have suffered greatly and who still remember their suffering with sorrow. Our ultimate hope is in this vision of the fulfillment of the great mission, that we get to be a part of the great multitude who are in union with Christ in his house forever and who have freedom from suffering, yes. 
But in our current reality, our hope is also in the fact that we worship a God who suffered and who conquered through suffering. That the lamb who was slain identifies with us in our suffering. I want to leave you with these questions. Is God real to you in the midst of your own suffering? Or as you walk with others in their suffering? Are you still asking the question that Denise Levertov asks at the start of her poem, what then is this Lamb of God who lacks the means of self-protection, who chose to be defenseless? And how might the knowledge that Jesus is the Lamb of God who knows what it is to suffer change how you experience suffering? Like the first Christians in the seven churches who received the letter of Revelation, we still need this message of hope, that the Lamb is the one who takes away the sin of the world, that he knows what it is to suffer, that he has become our shepherd. Amen. Glory to the Lamb.